You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. The time of the Israelites' exile had ended. Cyrus, the king of Persia, issued a decree allowing children of Israel to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, just as Isaiah prophesied 150 years before. After the temple had been rebuilt, the next Persian king permitted Nehemiah to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was prepared but the people's hearts were not. Seventy years in exile, the remnant that remained of the Israelite nation had become apathetic in their relationship with God. As a father does with his children, God entered into a heart-to-heart conversation with his people through his servant Malachi. morning and uh, thanks to all the fathers for being here today God bless you appreciate your presence today uh, we're talking about the God who knows us the God who wants to be known Uh, we talk about a God today the God of the Bible the God of Jesus Christ the God of Malachi who feels who thinks who broods, who loves, who is vulnerable. What I love about the God that we know and we learn about in the Scripture is that God is relational. God wants to be known by us as he knows us. Now, think about this with me for a minute. We're told that through the Hubble telescope, we can now see galaxies that are 35 billion light years away. You want to know how long a light year is? Thanks for asking. Five. Point eight eight trillion miles. So the farthest galaxy that we know of, that we know of in our little finite Hubble telescope mind, is 35 billion times 5.88 trillion miles. You got that? Now, for me, I don't know about you, but it is not a big leap of faith for me to believe in a divine being, in a creator that did all this and is still doing it. But I think the big leap for many people, sometimes in my life, 
maybe sometimes in your life, maybe for some people almost all the time, is to believe that the Creator that made all that wants to be up close and personal with me. That's, that's hard for many people. And for people that do not know this God that wants to be known, we look out on our troubled world and we blame God and we question the goodness of God because of all that we've messed up. And so the God of Malachi, the God of this prophet, this God that speaks to their servant Malachi 400 years before the coming of Jesus, is known as Father. That's the, God is known in so many different names and ways in the Bible. But the primary metaphor in Malachi is Father. And so on Father's Day, what I want us to do is to look at these words of this prophet 400 years before Jesus and consider this that this is kind of like a family conference. You ever have those family conferences? I remember when the kids were young and uh, we, we had a particular parsonage at one time and we had a couch and a living room. And, you know, we, we strove as parents to have a time uh, every day around the dinner table. We tried and strove in the evening, no matter what else was going on in our lives, to have that family dinner time. But the conference was something we didn't do every day or every week or every month. So when you had the family conference, something was up. And uh, we'd put those kids on that couch, and they knew somebody had died or something was up. Well, Malachi is having a family conference with his kids. And, and uh, God the Father is having a conference with his kids. And this God, well, we're going to look at some words in just a moment. But before we do, I, I need to tell you one more thing. In the day of Malachi, the primary way in which people brought their offerings or made themselves right before God was to bring bulls and calves and animals, and it was animal sacrifice. And this was true of the Jewish religion prior to Jesus, and this is true of many religions back in that day. And so that's a different culture, but that's what's, gonna go, what's, what's going on here. And as I look at these words with you, we're going to look at different conversations in Malachi. As, as we look at these words together, I want you to ask yourselves the question, what is the Father, God the Father, feeling right now as he gathers the children together for a conference? God the Father says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? A son honors his father, 
and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. Wish he wasn't so hard on the clergy. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we offered polluted food? How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you your favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now, what's God feeling right now? In one word, what do you think God is feeling? What's he sensing? How's he feel? Disrespected. Hurt. Anger. Rejected. Ignored. Devalued. God is feeling devalued by his kids. And he's vulnerable enough. And he's honest enough in this conversation with his family to say, this is how I feel. You ever feel disrespected? Who doesn't? You ever feel devalued? Especially by people you love? Hurts, doesn't it? Hurts. What do you do with your feelings of invalidation? You can stuff them. You can retaliate. You can turn a cold shoulder. You can have an honest conversation. And so the big question is, on Father's Day... Are we too guilty of devaluing God the Father? Bill O'Quinn was a senior pastor here for 12 years. He was my senior pastor at Platwoods when I was getting my start in ministry or some years into it, actually. And Bill taught me many things, most of them good. Bill uh, made a comment once when someone, as a member of the church, gave a copier, a used copier from his company to the church. And being a young pastor, I knew that that copier that he had given us, even if it was a tax write-off, was a lot better copier than the other copier that we had in the church office right then. So I was saying, well, we're just really thrilled to get this copier. And Bill said, you know, Bob, it always bothers me when people seem to give the cast off, the second rate, the equipment that they don't want anymore. They don't need any more to the church. Why don't 
people give their best. On Memorial Day weekend, we went up to see my mother, and she has progressive dementia. And so us kids and some of the grandkids got together, and we, we divided up the rest of her stuff. And it came time where everything was kind of sorted through and the kids got what they wanted and everything's fine. But some of the grandkids were there and they they brought out her costume jewelry. There was even one little bag there that had said broken pieces. And they offered the kids, the grandgirls and the great-grandgirls, would you like some of Nana's jewelry? Now, the good stuff, mind you, had already been picked through. And if these girls would have been three years of age, they would have fallen for it. But these were adult women or teenage girls. They didn't want any of this fake, broken stuff. Because they knew that what was left them was just the junk. God is saying, don't give me the cast-off equipment and the costume jewelry. That nobody wants anyway. Now let's pick up the story in this nice, crucial conversation that God the Father is having with his kids. In the midst of this, God says this assuring word, though. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Just feel God's heart. Return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Now, notice God's good word. He says, I don't change. Now, if I said to you, well, I don't change. That wouldn't be good news. It's like we, we, back on the farm, we'd say we bull up. We're obstinate. We don't change. That's just the way I am. But when God says, I do not change, that's good news. Because God is saying, I am consistently good. See, the world is looking for fathers who will be consistent, who will be disciplined, who will be loving, who will be firm, who will be dependable, who will be reliable. And God is saying, even though you have disrespected me, I do not change. Will you return to me? 
Will you come back to me? And then they ask, well, how? How shall we return? And this is where God speaks to them specifically. Well, man robbed God. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now notice God says to the people, I want you to tithe. Tithe means 10%. I want, to bring, I want you to bring your tithe, your 10%, your best offering, your first fruit is the language that's consistent in Scripture. I want you to bring your best. I don't want you to bring those old, lame, blind animals that nobody wants anyway. I want you to bring your tithe for two reasons, so that there will be food in my house. So when we tithe, when, when, you know, if that's the rub, if that's what we're hold, withholding, so there will be food and resources in my house. But there's a second reason, so that I, I can show you I can pour my blessing out on you. I've noticed over the years that there's some people in this room that don't need to hear this at all. There's some people that probably do, and God knows who you are, and you know who you are. But over the years, probably in all the spiritual practices that we do when it comes to prayers or presence or service or time, the one thing that seems many people think they can opt out on, like it's multiple choice, is tithing, is giving. And God's saying, I want you to put me to the test because you're not going to know me intimately and experience me fully until you trust me with what you think is the most important part of your life, and that's your resources. In 2010, Susan and I put God to the test. God put us to the test. It, it was an interesting year, but it was a year that we will never, ever forget. And I hope I, I can say this in a way where I mean it, that I'm bragging on God here and I'm not bragging on ourselves. But in 2010, there was a recession going on. And in 2010, like many people, Susan's job was cut back to half time. So we went into that year with less income. In the midst of this, also, we decided, by golly, by gum, we are not going to reduce our tithe, our 10% to Schweitzer. And I've tithed, I've tithed since I was 17 years of age. I believe in it. I commend it. We were not going to reduce that tithe because the church needed her money. It was a recession, don't you know? And we decided that year we were going to grow God's church and put a capital campaign on top of it. 
So we were, our income was down, our giving to the operations was going to stay the same, and then we increased our giving 40% to the capital process. One, because we believed it. Number two, I was a pastor and I had no choice. Less income, more giving, and then our daughter, of all things, that spring announces to us, she's getting married. And we got to plan a wedding. When you get married, November. We budget for the wedding. It's a simple, elegant wedding at Schweitzer. A lot of people help with that. We budgeted $10,000. It wasn't the great American wedding. We spent twelve. In addition to this, we were able to replace our carpet in our house and even put new wood floor in the living room and hallway, which I'd always wanted all my life but never had. At the end of the year, and I do not know how this happened, but I do know how it happened. At the end of the year, we had as much money in the bank as we did at the beginning of the year. And I'm saying that to brag on God. And since that year, 10% has never been enough for us. And that's, you know, if you're thinking, well, he's, I don't even need to worry today. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not, we're not, but, but I'm asking you, where's your heart? And where are you withholding your best to God? And what is God calling you to do? Generosity comes in many ways. One of the ways is just in the way that we're responsive to the needs of the world and what God wants us to do personally. There's a family in our church, the Neal family, Mary and Alan Neal. And they're a remarkable family. They have nine kids. I'm going to ask you to watch this video and listen to their story. We have nine children. Um, we have two biological children, seven adopted children, six boys and three girls, and uh, a busy lifestyle. So I guess I'm wondering if at three, at four, at five, at six, did, did you ever feel maxed out? After the third. <laughs> I think the first time we went to China, I think we needed to be back. And probably not the next year like we ended up doing, but yeah, I think we realized the, the, how great the need is and you know, felt like this was the way we could really make a difference. And, after that, so after the fourth one came on, we were done. <laughs> after the fifth one came on, we were done. <laughs> it's uh, you know, every time it just felt, you know, at some point afterwards, I think probably Alan more than me, that yeah, we can keep doing this, and you know, we've got more to offer. And I think I've been more the reluctant one. I'm, I'm the planner, the organizer. You uh, know, we <laughs> we can't. I'm maxed out. And actually, I think that's been true every time. I can't do it, but together and with God's help, we can. And so where does the, the time, the energy, the emotional capacity come from? 
purely the grace of God. <laughs> <laughs> but it does come. It comes. It's very rewarding, though, to just be able to parent that many children and have that much fun together and uh, so experience the things that we're seeing. And, you know. So you're saying it's, it's been worth it? Oh, every second has been worth it. <laughs> the struggles, the trials, and and you know, thankfully there really haven't been that many. But you know, got that many people living under one roof. You're gonna have some, some disagreements and, and not the perfect yeah. kids, but uh, we do a good job overall. We're being educated as we go along too. So, so do you plan on having any more? That's always the big question. She always says no. And always <laughs> say yes. <laughs> Yeah, and then just, we, we've learned to never say never. <laughs> we're getting old. And, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, it always seems to have something that happens in our life or some type of sign or signal that, that it's time to do it again or that there's a special need for a special child. And, uh, it always seems to have worked out for me. So. When we started dating at 16, uh, the plan was definitely not nine children in a 12-passenger van. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thankfully we were willing to to go where God was leading us, and it has been fantastic. Okay, last question. Is there anything in particular you'd like to tell your church community? Well, Eli, our youngest son, is quite a talker, and on the way to school one day, he says, Mom, sometimes we need to think with our hearts and not with our brains, because our brains are lazy. And, you know, at first I just thought it was funny, and, there's a lot of wisdom in that. We could come up with hundreds of reasons why logically something is not a good idea when our hearts know that it's the right thing to do. And so if you just stop being lazy, follow your heart, and you know, go where God leads you, and the blessings are incredible. I love uh, Mary's words, never say never. It's dangerous to say never and say never. Because I found that when you say never, to God, that's probably the likely thing you're going to be doing. <laughs> but I love one of the boys, one of the kids, one of the seven adopted children that they've gone overseas and brought in, saying, don't think with your brain, because your brain is lazy. Think with your heart. And I think that's what Malachi is saying to us today. Throw the calculator away. Stop living your life with a sense of duty or obligation. I've always loved you. God the Father said, I've always loved you. Will you return your love to me? Malachi, toward the end of the book, he talks about a messenger that's going to come. And 400 years later, that messenger came. He showed up in the temple in the house of the Lord. It was God himself, Jesus Christ. The messenger came. And Malachi said that messenger's going to be like a, a refiner's soap, a refining fire. He's going to purify us. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So God 
comes in Jesus and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice because God just keeps saying, you know, it never was about the bulls and the rams and the calves and the animals. It was never about any of that. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. It was about you and me. I have not withheld my heart to you. Do not withhold your heart to me.